Hey, everyone. You found the Don't Suck at AI podcast, where you'll hear from AI industry icons about how their companies are producing successful AI solutions that are changing the way we do business today and into the future. So here's your host, John Lindsay. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us on the Don't Suck at AI podcast. Today, we have a dynamite show lined up for you as we're welcoming Steve Lambright, Chief Marketing Officer of AI, a dear old friend of mine from Businesses of Old. And just for some clarity, you guys might want to look him up. AI is spelled A-E-Y-E. So here's what I know about the company. They were founded in 2013. Steve, you can tell me if I'm pronouncing his name right, by Louis Dussin. Uh, Louis Dussin. Yeah, see, I got that very flawed. I'm keeping that in there. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> so as Steve said, that's who he is. A technologist from Lockheed and Northrop, responsible for designing mission-critical targeting systems for fighter jet. He realized there was a connection between doing something like that from a technology perspective and self-driving cars, and that they face similar challenges. He built a company and founded this company based on the premise that they could build better technology for this autonomous driving. So he brought together a team of of scientists and engineers from NASA and Lockheed, Northrop, some brilliant people like Steve to create the highest performing sensing perception system for autonomous driving. And the result is why we have Steve here today to talk to us is AI's patented IDAR, Intelligent Detection and Ranging Platform. Steve, this clearly does not suck, which is why we wanted to have you on the podcast. Our goal today was really for you to be able to share with our listeners a little bit more about AI's journey, since obviously it took a little while to to hit the NASDAQ. And then also take a little bit deeper dive into the IDAR technology and product. But before we do that, let's take a few moments and let you share with our listeners just a little bit about your background. Thanks, John. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here and be able to talk about AI and what we're doing because we're very passionate about the path we've been on and where we're taking this company. So about me... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Boy, you know I don't like talking about myself. Well, I've been I've been doing uh, basically technology marketing since about 1993. I've been in software. One thing I've always done is I've always done different types of markets, different types of technologies. And I met you, John, back about 15 years ago when I was in the industrial wireless world. Before that, I was in relational databases, WYSIWYG website design software, CAD, virtual reality software, global logistics software. So that was that was sort of my path to where I am today. Been at AI since about 2018, about employee number 30. We had just closed our Series A when about to go after Series B and joined the company to really start to give it some structure around the marketing work that we need to get done and getting the word out about what we were trying to do in regards to as you said, create a new technology that acted and performed as good as the human or as better than the human visual cortex. You talked about Louie, if you don't mind me diving in here, because I can talk about this forever. <laughs> you go. <laughs> okay. You know, you mentioned Louie you know, sort of took an idea that came out of his targeting pod work. And, and that's and he did reconnaissance systems, he did targeting pods, he did a variety of different things. Most of the work that he, he did when he was at Lockheed has become sort of standard technology on virtually every fighter jet in the NATO and the U.S. fleets, whether it's the Air Force or Navy, it's, a, it's something that Louis worked on. But one of the things that he had as an aha moment was Louis Dussan thinks that I could take this technology, off-the-shelf components, and reduce the cost from millions of dollars to a few hundred dollars and deliver it for use on robots or vehicles or anything that needs to move autonomously. And the key for him was the ability to combine three things, an agile LIDAR system, and I mean agile, and a system that where you could place each shot of each laser shot in three dimensions, combine that with an integrated camera 
And then layer on artificial intelligence, being able to have the system be situationally aware of where it was going and what it was doing so that it could adapt its scan pattern, its sensing capabilities to be appropriate and specific to what was going on at the time. And that's sort of where biomimicry is. So if you think about how you look at the world, right, you what do what is called foveation, right? You, you're only paying attention to about 7% of what your eyes actually see. And your brain's doing that because your brain can't handle looking at everything with the same level of intensity. Your brain and your visual cortex are saying, I'm going to pay attention to John Lindsay's face. I'm not going to pay attention to all the other stuff in my room, even though I can see it. I'm just paying attention to that about 7% of what, I'm, what I can actually see. That's what the design goal of our system was, was to see everything, but pay attention to what matters most because John Lindsay's face matters most right now. <laughs> oh, and that's precisely why we don't use videos, Dave. <laughs> that's, well, so that's what Louis' design goal was, right? So to, to create a sensor that could adapt fluidly in real time as it moved through the world and optimize itself for sensing anything at any time to the best of its ability and be aware of where it's going so that it's able to send information up to the motion control system that's most appropriate, that's most effective, and do it in the most the fastest way possible. That's what we're trying to do in terms of when we talk about mimic, you know, doing biomimicry and being able to map to the you know, human visual cortex. Amazing. Well, thanks for letting us learn a little bit about you and Thanks for sharing the background on how this whole thing got started. Those are amazing origins. Here's what we like to do on, on the Don't Suck at AI podcast. We always like to throw in a, a fun fact before we kick this thing off. So, Steve, I have a, a fun fact that just happened to you. And, and I think most everyone in business dreams of this happening, or at least I do. I don't know about Bill, but I, I dream about this happening. I watched as the AI CEO, and let me see if I can get Blair's name right, Blair LaCourt. Right. Yep. You got it. All right. Nailed that one. Stood up there at the NASDAQ podium and announced your new stock symbol. And well, that was cool to have a company up there talking about what you guys just built. It was even cooler to watch him give a shout out to you because he stood up there on that live podium. He said, Steve, my head of marketing wanted me to say that AI is now LIDR in reference to your new NASDAQ stock symbol. And so I was watching you thinking, man, this is an I'm going to Disneyland after a big win kind of moment. How in the world does that feel? That looked like Brady holding the trophy up going, I'm going to Disneyland. So, and since I don't know how that feels, and I don't think Bill does either, tell us how that felt. I, we got to know. Well, you know, it's, it, I think, I haven't won a Super Bowl, but it would be the. It, you're you're right. I'm going to assume that it is the business equivalent of winning the Super Bowl, right? Blair may be Tom Brady, but uh, I'm the uh, point guard. <laughs> you're in the wrong sport, man. Come on, we're oh, sorry. The football. right hand. I'm, I'm the the. Yeah, never mind. I'm the right guard. Yeah, I, so I block. Better, I, I block and tackle. That's so what we better I, we better move. We better move on to what you know fast. Boy, yeah. That was bad. All right, so let's dig into to AI's journey. When you joined the team, this was clearly a big vision that they had laid out in front of you. You described some of it uh, you know, in the preamble here, Steve. Attempting to match the power of human perception, that's just huge. So I'm assuming that education had to be a part of the marketing initiative when you started your journey here as well. So coming on as the CMO, talk to us a little bit about those days and how did you get the message out? Because again, we're in this space, Bill and I are in this space and I read about what you guys are doing and it is just, wow, it's just big. And so I'm imagining that taking this to the masses and explaining what this is requires a unique style of marketing. Talk to us a little bit about it. Well, it's, you know, it, you're, you're right. It's very interesting that it, it does take a fair amount of education. Most people who are in this space 
had some origins going back to the DARPA Grand Challenge. I don't know if you're familiar with that program, but back in 2007, 2008 timeframe, DARPA created an autonomous vehicle challenge. And most of you know, Stanford, Carnegie Mellon, Berkeley, a bunch of schools basically created autonomous vehicles. And, and many of the people who are now at the in leadership positions at many of the autonomous vehicle companies participated in the, in the DARPA Grand Challenge. And what they had then was very basic spinning LIDAR systems. And why did they use LIDAR? Why is LIDAR important? Why is LIDAR superior or, or complementary to cameras? What LIDAR gives you is precise measurement of where something exists in 3D, right? It is a what is called a deterministic sensor where it tells me, it measures precisely where something is. So I, I don't have to compute it. I don't have to assume it. I know where that an object exists. That is why they started using LIDAR back in that, in that early sort of DARPA challenge. It was all spinning. It was all fixed raster-based or fixed spinning or fixed raster type of, of LiDAR systems. Then if you move forward to about where I entered the world in about 2018, end of 2017, beginning of 2018, there were about 60 to 70 LiDAR companies in the space, right? And everyone was out telling their story. They all had basically a fixed scan pattern approach, very little true differentiation. Some of them had different sort of beam steering things and others had different receivers. Some were FMCW, some of them were flash. So there's a variety of different sort of mechanisms that were being used, but they all performed in the same way, which was same scan pattern every single time. So when we would go out and talk to customers, they basically asked questions that were like, how many points per second? What's your range? What's your resolution? How's your, what's your speed? Because they could get standard answers that they could compare and contrast against the other 60 companies. But our answer was always, well, it depends. What do you want to do? You know, because we can, our system is entirely software definable. We can adjust the scan pattern. We can adjust the range. We can adjust the speed, the, the rate. We can place every single point that we shoot in three dimensional space uniquely, not as just a simple scan pattern. So that was a challenge because that required explanation. It required videos. It required graphics and animations. It required a lot of disciplined process by which you would move someone through the logic of here's what you do now, here's what you can do. And some people would get there and some people wouldn't. When you, Whenever you're in one of these, I've this experiences on many occasions where we're in a meeting and there's usually it was a perception software engineer or someone who was sort of thinking about the data that they were going to get. Somewhere in the meeting, they would go, oh, oh, I get it because they'd understand that the quality of the data that they were able to derive, the precision of the data that they were able to get by being more precise with how they actually scanned and sensed the environment would be beneficial for them in terms of how they could get better information faster to make faster and more accurate decisions about where to move the vehicle. And that is ultimately what they need to do. You know, microseconds count in this world. Anytime that they can trim some microseconds off of a decision and be more confident that they're making the right decision, that's what they're after. To answer your question about marketing, it really took the development of some illustrative graphics and animations, as well as white papers, and just some patience and being able to consistently explain what we're doing and why it matters. Interestingly enough, it was just putting the label of IDAR on the platform helped a lot because it separated us and differentiated the concept of standard LIDAR with IDAR. So being able to say it's intelligent detection and ranging, not just light detection and ranging, this is about being intelligent about how you do it. That introduction of sort of a new concept helped get people to think about how we do things differently. And you know, sometimes when it comes down to marketing, sometimes it's just that, that little bit of an opening where people go, oh, and they start thinking about something differently. That's what you can get in and get inside their brain and get them to you know, sort of live in there a little bit. And hopefully they begin to 
invest time and energy to really understand what you are all about and what's why that's different and what the benefits of that are. So that's that's what we've been trying to do for the last three years. And you know, to a certain degree, we've must have succeeded somewhere along the line. Well, Steve, in, in terms of marketing, I'm interested in technical challenges that you've faced and no doubt have solved, in particular with uh, the automotive industry. The big automotive companies are highly regulated and they have high potential for litigation. So they tend to be risk averse, probably test the heck out of everything. I'm wondering how you dealt with that in marketing in that arena and interacting with those folks and dealing with passing any kind of tests that they would have for this kind of technology. You're absolutely right. The Society of Automotive Engineers have defined basically six levels of autonomy from level zero, which is nothing to level five, which is there's no steering wheel in the vehicle. Most of where we are today is basically level one, maybe into level two. Some we're starting to see sort of two plus some link heap assist is a level two function. Automated cruise control is sort of a one one plus type of feature. But we are seeing the automotive companies, major automotive OEMs try to move up the stack because they've seen that they can add safety-oriented and convenience-oriented features that consumers are interested in buying. And you can blame or give credit to Tesla and some of their autopilot features for enabling this because they know we've like GM follow with Super Cruise. And we've seen Ford and Nissan and others follow with similar types of add-ons. They've started adding features and functionality to their products and, and as sort of consumer choices. And we're even seeing now, I think, the evolution of that towards even a subscription model right? Where people can choose over time what features they have working on their vehicle. And the assumption is always when you get to level four, which is you have a steering wheel, but you can be hands off, eyes off, feet feet off, right? You can be completely independent. The car is making all the decisions for driving or even to level five, which is like I said before, no steering wheel, no, no human controls whatsoever, that you're going to need some degree of artificial intelligence to enable that because the car has to be able to make decisions in real time about where it's going, the environment it's in, what it's seeing, quote unquote. But artificial intelligence by its very nature is is counter to functional safety requirements of the automotive industry. Functional safety requirements basically means that you have to be able to have a predictable, predictive outcome every time something happens. And they can repeatedly do this and prove that it's repeatedly repeating in the same manner every single time. Artificial intelligence is inherently not that, right? Artificial intelligence is about optimizing for any given situation and learning and being better at something over time. That's not what functional safety is about. We, in order to get traction in the automotive OEM space, created what we call uh, deterministic artificial intelligence, which means we can implement artificial intelligence in a in a way that is repeatable and predictable. In implementing artificial intelligence in this way puts some limitations on it, but it also enables us to do things that, again, can be predictably repeated time and time again. We, for example, we have a, a feature we call deterministic detection logic or DDL. What that does is when a point is returned with the laser, we'll immediately, within the same frame, put points on either side of that of that point. And then we'll be able to immediately fill in some of the gaps that exist so that we can get more accurate classification information on that object. And again, more accurately classify it faster than if we had to wait for that raster to come back, or like in a traditional system, wait for that raster to come back and try to get more points on it frame by frame by frame and try to see what happens. We're doing it within a frame and we're doing it just by creating some simple rules about if you do this, then this. That's how we enable that deterministic artificial intelligence that enables us to create sensors that can be triggered to perform in certain ways within an automobile, but do it in a, like I said, a predictable way that adheres to functional safety requirements. You've given us a real good glimpse into you know what you guys set out to do. You've talked a little bit about what it actually does and how it does it. There's a typical application for this stuff. 
but I can't go down to Walmart and buy this and just stick it in my car, right? How does this make it to my automobile or my vehicle or my train or my rail car? Am I ordering something on Amazon? It's got a little box and I'm sticking it on the side of it and programming it? Or are you building it in? Is it an aftermarket thing? How does it get to my vehicle? Let's talk about the three levels of technology, the three layers that are required to make it happen, right? First, you have the sensor level, right? Where you're capturing all the information and the sensor suite includes cameras and includes radar and includes LIDAR. I mean, everyone, but my our friend Elon includes <laughs> LIDAR and radar, right? Everyone wants to get the best possible information that they can. They have the sensor suite. It comes into a system where it fuses that sensors in terms of time and space. It basically stitches it all together so it can understand what it's seeing. Then it does what's called classification, where it basically identifies based on that information that that's a dog, that's a cat, that's a car, that's a tree, that's a bus, that's a you know, bicycle, whatever it might be. And that information then is sent to what is called the motion planning system. And the motion planning system then basically controls the vehicle autonomously. This is in a sort of, as I mentioned earlier, sort of a level four system. If it's a level two or three system, that information could be feeding what's referred to as an ADAS function, an ADAS feature. Like you could have highway autopilot as an ADAS feature where I can take my hands off the wheel and the sensors in the system are watching the freeway in front of me and being able to tell me when to stop, when to start, and when to veer, help me take care of, help me address those issues to make sure I'm safe. In the full autonomy world where everything is handed off to that vehicle, you've got these three stacks and that motion planning software takes full control over the vehicle in terms of telling the, the vehicle where to stop, start, turn, et cetera. How does that get into your vehicle? For the most part, that's going to have to be done at the point it's manufactured, right? It's not going to be putting it on after, afterwards. At least the computing power and the control that's required of the vehicle, hard to imagine that's going to be an aftermarket type of thing. I'm going to log off Amazon right now that I was just about to grab one, but I'll just okay. I'll, I'll hold uh, off. Good luck installing it. I'd love to see the instructions on that. Put that in my Hyundai. <laughs> I thought you said you had a Lamborghini. <laughs> That's my neighbor. Okay. <laughs> so Steve, uh, we noticed that you've launched a partnership with Continental. I always used to think of them as just a tire company, but wow, they do so much more. You have a partnership with them and your IDAR technology complements other systems such as uh, radar, camera, ultrasonic technologies, Continental sensor system and enables reliable and redundant automated driving platform such that it can handle complex, diverse traffic scenarios and adverse weather conditions. Is the goal for AI to fit into and play a part in a, a much bigger and redundant autonomous solution? It has to be the goal, right? Because we're not, we believe that multiple sensors and multiple sensing modalities are required in order to provide full, safe autonomy. Part of what our relationship with, with Conti has been, and by the way, just to make sure everyone understands who Conti is, they're much more than a tire company. They are a nearly $50 billion a year business. They are the second or third largest part supplier in the world to the automotive industry. And more than just tires, if I understand correctly, they make about 80% of what goes into a vehicle. Great partner for us to have. And more importantly, as a partner, we're very proud of the business model because they basically license our technology to build a Conti sensor based on our platform, our design, our reference architecture. So they're building a an AI sensor for the Continental suite. And the Continental ADAS suite is already wildly successful. They've, they do several billion dollars a year in ADAS solutions. And their ADAS solutions, as you mentioned, include cameras, includes radar, includes a short-range flash LIDAR system, and it includes our long-range system, our high-performance system. They've integrated all this. They've got it control systems and control units. And all of this will be sold as a full stack into you know an automotive OEM. And the automotive OEM enables that whatever that user interface is that they want for a specific feature set. 
So if they're trying to, again, it goes back to like GM and Super Cruise, they package a certain you know, selection of, of options for GM customers and make that available as their customers see fit. Not saying Continental and Super Cruise are connected. I'm just using Super Cruise as an example. Continental is offering that full stack suite to the automotive OEM so that that automotive OEM can create the equivalent of a Super Cruise or a highway autopilot type of solution. Steve, it's amazing. I mean, again, we've learned so much just having you on. It's just mind blowing to me and we're in this space. So do me a favor. Yes. Look into the crystal ball. You're in an industry that's going Star Wars crazy right now, and you're leveraging AI and all this amazing technology to do just some phenomenal things that you're sitting right at the point of this. Where's this going? What's next? What do you see? What I'm excited about and what I think is going to happen, and I think we'll see it sooner than we think, is not just smarter vehicles, but we're going to see smarter infrastructure. And we're going to see vehicles and infrastructure talking to each other. Stoplights, on-ramps, whatever you know, whatever it might be, we're going to be communicating. Vehicles will be communicating with each other. Vehicles will be communicating with the infrastructure. The infrastructure will be communicating with vehicles. And it'll be much more knowledgeable about what's going on in the environment to be more efficient and safer. And I think, you know, as we get towards full autonomy, I think it should give people greater confidence in the safety of autonomous vehicles because the infrastructure is going to be looking out for them, right? The streets themselves are going to be keeping people safe and keeping, keeping vehicles apart from each other where necessary. That gets pretty exciting when you think about how all of that can be integrated together. Sorry, but I'm going to go on a little bit here. Then beyond that, you think about what could happen in a construction site or what could happen at a, let's say, a chemical plant, John, um, in terms of making infrastructure smarter, right? And making the components that work and move within that infrastructure smarter and having them talk to each other. I think the level of efficiency and safety and even to a degree convenience just take off over the next decade. And I think that's where it's going to be really fascinating. Well, I'm blown away. I'm sure Bill is too. I can't wait to hear the feedback from our listeners. I mean, this was absolutely epic. So AI, your AI, not AI as in artificial intelligence. <laughs> a E Y E. Yes. You guys are pushing the boundaries and, you know, again, mimicking human perception, your technology to be able to talk to roads and cars and buildings and all these things. That doesn't suck. <laughs> AI <laughs> as a company coming this far and you driving the marketing engine and just last week getting listed on the NASDAQ. That absolutely doesn't suck. And of course, connecting with an old friend to talk about new technology, Steve. That doesn't suck. Thank you so much for coming on. Here's what I want you to do. Our listeners are going to want to know, number one, how they can follow you. So do me a favor and, and share. And you don't have to drop any digits, although some have. Maybe an email address or some way they can connect with you, a website that where they can follow what you're doing and stay on top of this journey that you've got us on right now. First of all, our, our website is AI at, or AI.AI, so A-E-Y-E dot A-I. And so start there. Please follow us on LinkedIn. We probably post every day. We try to keep everyone up to speed on what we're doing there. And if you want to drop me a note, my email address is slam, S-L-A-M at A-E-Y-E dot A-I. Slam. I love it. It sounds like I ought to get a burger and some A-I. I think it's, it's <laughs> a slam burger and some A-I from my man, Steve. Well, Steve, listen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to all the Don't Suck family of listeners that join us every week for these and Bill, anything you'd add to this? This has just been phenomenal. I, I've, I've learned a ton doing some research to even be able to have the same conversation about some of this stuff with Steve. Uh, what would you add to this, Bill? 
Well, it's been fascinating to, to hear the story here. And I have a 14-year-old grandson that starts high school on Monday, actually, and uh, he's gifted and uh, interested in technology. And I'm going to have him listen to this and he'll get real excited about, uh, especially uh, the, the future that you painted regarding infrastructure. So thanks for sharing all this, Steve. Pleasure. And thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, Professor Lambright from California and Bill and I from Texas, I think that's going to end this episode. So we're out of here and that's a wrap, baby. 